So the, the reading today is from John 17, and it's verses 1 to 19, if anyone wanted to get up and have a look. Um, and it goes as so. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out, to the world, out of the world. Sorry, uh, They were yours, you gave them to me, and now they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hatred, hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, and thank you for your kind welcome. It's lovely to be here. And as I was driving in, I noticed that you have um, a cricket pitch right next to your church. So I, I can see with your warm, such a lovely warm congregation and with a cricket pitch so nearby, I can see why Paul's so happy here. Um, but no, thank you. It's lovely to be here. I'll just pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for this time to gather in your presence this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use my words and that you would soften our hearts, that we might hear you speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Paul mentioned, today we're looking at the importance of prayer and particularly we're thinking about Thy Kingdom Come initiative. And that's, some of you may have heard it, there are various leaflets being handed out at the back. But the idea is that from Ascension Day to Pentecost, we're focusing on the importance of prayer, both in our own lives, so looking at how we can deepen our own relationship with God through prayer, but also the idea is that we commit to praying for five people that they might come to know the love of God in Jesus and know fullness of life. And the passage we heard today, we hear Jesus praying for his disciples 
just before his trial and his arrest, and ultimately his crucifixion. And so there are two key things I want us to think about this morning as we think about prayer and as we look at this passage. And firstly, that is prayer is about knowing who God is. Prayer is about knowing God. And secondly, prayer leads us into action. So prayer is about knowing God and prayer leads us into action. If someone asked you to explain what eternal life is, what would you say to them? It's not an easy question to answer. I think I would probably say something like, maybe it's living forever, or maybe it's going to heaven. And perhaps there is an element of those things, but in the passage today, Jesus gives a straightforward answer. He says, an eternal life is this, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is to know God through knowing Jesus. Eternal life is about knowing God through who Jesus is. So the key to a full life is found in knowing God, the fullness of life in this age and the next. And there are different ways that we can know things. So there's a rational sense in which I can know that this is made of wood, And there's also an emotional sense in, for example, the way that I know Chelsea are going to beat Arsenal this Wednesday in the Europa League final. And how I also know that in saying that, that will get me in trouble with my wife and her family who are massive Arsenal fans. I'm obviously a Chelsea fan. So there are two ways, or there are different ways of knowing. And I think that comes across in this passage here when Jesus is talking about knowing God. Knowing God can be in a rational, intellectual sense. The God who is unseen, invisible, beyond all comprehension, Jesus makes known. He says, I have made your name known. And in the Old Testament, the word Yahweh was almost unpronounceable. This God who is beyond all things, Jesus comes and in his life, death, and resurrection makes God tangible, touchable, accessible to us. But I think also here, there's an emotional or relational sense of knowing God. There's an intimate sense of knowing God. And in the Old Testament, the language to know had sexual connotations. So in Genesis, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore him a son, Cain. So knowing God has this relational and intimate sense. And I think prayer is about building up this knowing of God in this relationship, in this intimate sense, we can know God relationally. In prayer, we open ourselves up to God's presence. We become more and more aware of his presence with us as he shapes and molds us more and more into his image. And I think this is also what it's saying at the end of the passage, verse 17, when it's saying Jesus is asking for his disciples to be sanctified in truth, that they would know the truth of God's love for them, that they'd be able to rest and be still in this love that God has for them. So I think prayer is about, it's not about being anxious. We don't have to be anxious in our prayer life. Prayer's about knowing God. It's not a duty or an obligation. God's not, prayer is not some sort of vending machine where we put in our requests to God and then we get the answers coming out. Or as a friend of mine who's 
not a Christian and quite skeptical, said, if he was, he'd be like a broken vending machine. And sometimes it might feel like that in prayer. And we do know that God answers prayer. But I don't think that we need to be anxious. Prayer is about becoming aware of God's presence, being still. We don't have to convince God to do things for us. As Jesus says in this passage, I am finishing your work. God does the work. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. So in prayer, we don't have to anxiously convince God to do something he's a bit unsure about. In Jesus, we see his love for us already. So also, when we're thinking about committing to praying for five people, as we commit to pray for others, we see that God gives the disciples to Jesus. Jesus says, you have given the disciples to me. Faith is a gift from God. It's God's work. It's God's mission. It's not ours. And often, I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes I can feel a need to micromanage. I can think, oh, if only I get this person to come to this service when this person's preaching, and maybe if they listen to this worship song, or if I give them this book to read, that they might come to know who God is. And yeah, that can be part of the puzzle. And we do have a responsibility to share our faith. But we needn't be anxious. And in prayer, as we know God more and more, and we're shaped by him and in his image, we care more and more about what God God cares about. And because it's relational, it's two ways. We can come to God as we are with our own concerns, the people and situations on our hearts, and offer them to him. So prayer is about knowing God and resting in the fullness of his love as revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And secondly, prayer leads us into action. Prayer is not an escape from the world. Jesus prays, I'm not asking that you take the disciples out of the world. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. Prayer is about freeing us and emboldening us to be in the world, to live fully in the world for God and for others. Yes, we might need to stop from time to time and shut the door and shut the world out to be still and be present to God. But it doesn't end there. That's so that we can live fully in the world with him and for him. Prayer is about equipping us to live fully in the world. Growing up, I went to boarding school and... Um, It was in year eight, so it must have been about my 13th birthday, and I was mentioning this to some friends, and some of the older boys, the older prefects, heard this, and they suggested that maybe I'd like to celebrate this with some alcohol that they could get. And being young and eager to impress, I said, yeah, great, let's do that. So about 1 a.m., they come to our room, knock on the door, big bottle of vodka in one hand, and a Fanta fruit twist in the other, And I still struggle to drink Fanta Fruit Twist to this day because of the connotations of the bad hangover the following day. And they also had a video camera because they thought it would be fun to video and record us younger lads getting drunk. So we drank away, and the next day came, and I felt so ill. And the next day was my actual birthday, so I completely ruined it for myself. I had to excuse myself from my French lesson because I was particularly ill. 
And then that evening, we were watching this video back of us all being drunk and idiotic. And as we were watching this, it was during study time, the housemaster walks in and he sees us watching this video and we're all laughing away. And he confiscates the camera and he puts it in his office. And so we're all panicking. We're thinking, oh gosh, has he, has he seen it? We didn't know if he had watched it, how much trouble we're going to be in. I was thinking, oh, this will probably mean I'm going to get suspended, sent home. And I was really concerned particularly about what my parents were going to say. And so I decided that the best thing to do was just to cut out the middleman and to phone home. So I decided to call home, and my dad picked up, and I told him everything that happened. And he said, you know, whilst it probably wasn't the cleverest thing that I've ever done, if I get sent home for a few days, it's not the end of the world. And that, for me, was such a huge relief to know that even though I'd been stupid, even though I'd done this thing that was wrong, it wasn't the end of my relationship with my parents. They weren't going to turn their back on me. And that gave me such relief and such freedom that I thought, you know what, even if I get called, even if the housemaster watches this and I get called into the headmaster's office, I can face it because I know ultimately the relationship I care about the most, it's okay. It's okay. And I don't know whether he ever did watch it, but I didn't get in trouble for it, so I'm not sure that's the right moral to be sharing with the story. But I think that's a really helpful story to, to think about prayer, a lens to which to see prayer, that actually prayer, in prayer, we deepen our assurance of God's love for us and we deepen our assurance of his presence with us and that frees us to face the world. It's like a tree or a plant with really deep roots in the ground or the soil, deeply rooted that it doesn't matter what weather comes, because it's secure, it's not going to move, it can face the storms or the rain, whatever comes. And so similarly for us, in our own prayer life, having deep roots in God's love and assurance and security in who God is and his love for us, that we're free to face the world. So similarly, it should be no surprise that we find Jesus here, just before his arrest, just before his crucifixion, Praying, deep in prayer, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on his knees, praying to God before a world-changing, transformative action on the cross. So prayer is not about being removed from difficulties and the troubles that we face in the world, but being deepened in God's love for us so that we can face it. And what I love about this passage as well is that in the fact that prayer leads to action. We shouldn't be put off by small beginnings. Here Jesus is praying, not for the world, not for the whole world. He's praying for the remaining 11 disciples. After his ministry of three years, where he's been going around all the different villages, different places, he has this motley group of 11 disciples who are probably, you know, they're not the brightest theologians. We see throughout the Bible that they're a bit brash, constantly getting it wrong, probably a bit dirty, a bit smelly. And yet in them, Jesus is praying that by his Spirit, 
they would be the hope of the world in sharing the gospel. So it might seem like a failure as Jesus is there praying for only these 11. He only has 11. But it's the hope of the world. It would be a miss not to share a cricket story. And um, one of, as Paul said, it's not all hard work. In fact, sometimes it rarely is. And one of the things I got to do was to go to Rome as part of the Archbishop of Canterbury cricket team to play uh, this cricket team in Rome. You might think, well, what's the point in that? Italians aren't very good at cricket. But it's all their Indian, Sri Lankan, Australian seminarians. So they're actually quite a decent team. But all this was in the name of building ecumenical relations and building relationships with the Catholic Church. And on one of the days we weren't playing cricket, we had a tour. We went to St. Peter's Basilica, the main cathedral in the center of the Vatican. And as we were being shown around, we went to the altar and we were told that at this, underneath this altar, they believed that the bones of St. Peter were buried there. And they're fairly confident of this because when the Nazis were in Rome, they did some archaeological digging and they carbon dated them and they found that um, the bones fitted this person who would have been about 40 years old from Palestine about 2,000 years ago. So they're fairly confident it's Peter that's buried underneath the altar. And the inscription, the bit of scripture that's written around where Peter's buried It's from Matthew 16, verse 18, and it says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against you. And that was so powerful, being there in the center of Rome, once the center of the world, and the center of the Catholic church, and the church which has touched the whole world, there we were, And it was so powerful to think about the 11 disciples that would have been terrified after Jesus' death, terrified, persecuted by the Jewish communities, persecuted by the Roman authorities. And so when Paul was saying earlier, what gives me hope? And I think about, we think often we can think, oh no, the church might be in decline. But you think about those 11 disciples, 11 people. And yet there we were in Rome, if you like, the symbol of a world that's been completely transformed by the gospel with millions of people coming to know who Jesus is. So we shouldn't be put off by small beginnings just as Jesus isn't. And that means in our own prayer life we shouldn't be put off by small beginnings. We shouldn't be afraid to make these small changes that have big differences, whether that's committing to give 10 minutes of time in the morning or just before we go to bed, or just committing to saying the Lord's Prayer once a day. It's these small changes or steps that can transform our lives. And equally, in committing to pray for others, we might think there are so many people we could pray for. There are so many people that need to know God's love. Five people is not very many. But still, five people, five lives that could come to know God's love. And it reminds me of the images that Jesus used to describe the kingdom of God, like salt, yeast, light. They're small things, but they have a massive impact on the things around them. And so we, in our prayer life, and as we pray for others, should be encouraged by this.
Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you invite us to know you more through prayer. Help us to commit to lives of prayer by your Spirit and open our hearts and mold us more and more into your image. And through this, help us to commit to praying and living for others as we see in the life of Jesus. Amen.